0: Amen, people of God. Amen. Amen. That is our song. That is our prayer that God would grant us true humility and that through the reading and the proclamation of his word, he would speak life into us, fashioning us after our creator. Do you know what that means? That means there are times when the word of God is going to step on some toes. Because in order for us to be molded into the image of our Creator, we've got to get rid of some of the bad stuff. That has to be refashioned and granted to us anew. And that is my hope every sermon, both for you as well as for me as I study the Word of God. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I invite you, please, to open your Bibles to Jude, or as you may recall, last week, Judas. It's the second-to-last book in our Bibles short book, 25 or so verses. And this morning we are going to consider together verses 3 and 4. Last week, uh, verses 1 and 2. This week, verses 3 and 4. Next week, Lord willing, a larger chunk, verses 5 through probably around verse 16 or so. Before we hear from our God through the reading and the preaching of His most excellent Word, let us go to Him again in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious God and almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the mercy, peace, and love that has been granted to us on the basis of your Son. Lord, if we struggle to realize that help our minds and our hearts to grasp it today if we struggle our heavenly father to live in light of those realities help our hearts to be aimed at the perfect and sacrificial love of jesus christ that obedience might follow help us oh god this day be forever changed and lastly father We know that happens as you speak to us, so we bid you, please speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and amen, Jude, verses 3 and 4. This is the word of the living God. Beloved. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Indeed, beloved, thanks be to the God of the Bible. Recently, I set a Disney World world record. It wasn't planned. I actually went to the theme park hoping to be around all different kinds of people. It's one of the things I enjoy doing. I enjoy people watching to see how families interact with each other, to see how boyfriends and girlfriends interact with each other. So as I'm walking through this theme park, I'm making those observations, but I'm also hearing people speak in Portuguese, in Korean, Mandarin, and Spanish. Those are the kinds of environments I enjoy being in. So going on rides was really a bonus. But there I was, standing in line to going into... The Haunted Mansion. Those are little people rides. I don't do big people rides. And I'm overhearing a family discuss their uh, views and those whom they hope will win the World Cup. And they're doing so in Spanish. So I'm I'm picking up a, a few of these things. But after I go through the Haunted Mansion, I then go on to Pirates of the Caribbean, another kiddie ride. Again, I don't do big people rides. And it was after being on that ride and spending another hour or so in the theme park. I had purposed to then leave the theme park by getting on the tram. That tram in Orlando will take me to the edge of the parking lot and then get in my car because later that evening, I had a birthday party to go to that was being held for a dear friend. So I do what I had purposed. I get on the tram. That tram takes me to the edge of the parking lot. I get off the tram and I start walking to the parking lot to find my vehicle. An hour passed. I'm walking up and down every aisle looking for my vehicle. Two hours passed. And so it's, at this moment, I thought, well, I, maybe I should get some help finding my car. So I go over to one of the Disney parking lot attendants and I said, hey, I arrived here at this time. Where is my car parked? And he looked at me like, didn't you drive it? <laughs> And so I said, well, I got here between this time and this time. Can you help me? He said, well, it's either in this parking lot or the parking lot behind us. So I'm now going to the other parking lot, going up and down every single aisle, looking for my vehicle. The reason I didn't know where it was parked was because when I got out of the car, I was on the phone and forgot to take a picture of where I parked. And it's a rental car, so I don't know much about this car other than the type of car that I was driving. Four hours now pass. I find myself sitting in the passenger seat of a Disney employee's vehicle, and now we're going up and down every single aisle looking for my car. And if you know anything about the weather in Orlando, it's especially during this time of year, it's either 90 degrees and humid, so your clothes are sticking to your body, or it's 90 degrees and humid and it's raining, so your clothes are sticking to your body. I'm in all of that. Walking around soaking wet because it's hot. Walking around soaking wet because it's raining. Five hours passed. I'm still looking for my car. Six hours pass. I then contact security and I said, has my vehicle been stolen? It's a rental car. Here's some information about the car. He's like, I'll get some other people on it. We'll look around. I then, at the seventh hour, find myself in the back of another Disney employee's vehicle going up and down every single aisle that we had already been up and down seven or eight times, hoping that this car would magically, deliciously appear. And wouldn't you know, at the seventh hour, I found my rental vehicle. The previous Disney Guinness Book of World Record holder, for the person or guest who took the longest to find his vehicle was six hours. I topped it at seven. And since I had been walking around the parking lot or in the passenger seat or back seat of someone's car for all that time, now my plans had been changed because I couldn't get an hour north back to Tampa, Florida to get to this birthday party. That's what happens when certain circumstances we are faced with, they might change our plans. We were thinking one thing, something happens, and now we have to take a detour. Now we have to adjust because of the events that have been placed before us. Jude was initially writing to the churches for a certain purpose, but when he had been confronted with a certain circumstance that was in the church, a change of plans took place and the course of his entire letter changed as a result. By the way, I know many of you call me many things. You call me Pastor Brown. You call me Pastor Leon. You call me Leon. And if you have a military background, you might call me Brown. But now you can call me a Disney World World Record Setter. Seven hours. Still a little bitter. (laughs) Verse 3. Beloved. The church is called Beloved. You can tell a lot about your disposition toward someone else or your relationship toward someone else based upon how that person addresses you. When my mother called me by my first and middle name, I knew I did something wrong. Leon McDonald! And I'm like, okay. I start recounting all of the things wrong that I did that day. I start thinking about my transgressions from the previous week, wondering, okay, what is she going to bust me for today? The church is addressed as beloved which is a description that is used in the gospel narratives, primarily if not exclusively used to address Jesus. And so that should tell you something about your disposition toward the one who addresses you, namely God the Father. He looks at you and says, Church, you are beloved. And you have received that descriptor because of the one who came so many hundreds and hundreds of years ago when the... Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it was that one, the Son, it was that one, Jesus Christ, who was later baptized as the heavens parted and people heard the voice of God, the Father that said, this is my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And it is that adjective that is then used to address the church. God says to you, you are beloved. And as a result of being called out by God, marked by God, you are called then to pursue His purposes. And a part of pursuing His purposes is gathering together to hear the reading and to hear the proclamation of His word. But don't let this be something with which you get so comfortable. Because you have the Word of God at your fingertips. You have your iPads, your iPods, you have a a printed copy you can get on BibleGateway.com. You have your Bible software. We have the Word of God at our fingertips, which will then kind of impress upon us the yearning desires that the churches in the first century had. You see, Jude wrote, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you. As the churches gathered in the first century, they were awaiting for that messenger to come through that front door either with a scroll in hand to read, perhaps a copy of the scroll, or, or maybe the message was memorized. But they knew in order to live in a New Testament, New Covenant manner that was pleasing to God, they had to hear from these New Testament sources. So they waited and waited and waited. Even when there was a situation in the midst of the church, they had to wait to figure out how are we going to navigate these issues. So Jude wrote to the church because they had some things they had to navigate. And his initial purpose for writing to them was about this thing this weighty manner, our common salvation. Before he heard what was going on in the churches, he wanted to write to these churches about our common salvation. Do you hear that, beloved? Our common salvation. It is not a salvation that is somehow demarcated by your place of birth. You can be born in New York, you can be born in California, it is still our salvation. It is not a salvation that is limited to your ethnic background, African-American, African, Cuban-American. It is not a salvation that is limited to the color of your skin or your gender, your income, your class, or anything else. It is our common salvation. This is the only acceptable name and it. Salvation, ours. Jude wrote. To a people whose spiritual and biological lineage could be traced back to Mount Sinai when the people of God, having just been delivered from the tyrant Pharaoh, would cross through the Red Sea and later hear God's voice thunder from the top of the mountain. Uh, the mountain quaked. Uh, they were told not to get too close to the mountain lest they touch it and die. Their, their bodies trembled, and yet it was their God who was speaking to them, the God of deliverance. Those who would receive this letter in the first and second centuries would be people who can trace their lineage back that way. And yet it wasn't only them, it was those whose spiritual and biological lineage might not be traced back to Abraham. They may have become people of the way or Christians just two or three generations ago. And yet you have Hebrews on the one hand and non-Hebrews or Gentiles on the other hand all waiting to receive a letter like this. It is no wonder then, Jew, the brother of James, the brother of Jesus, can say to them, this is our common salvation. No one people group can now lay claim to this salvation. And it is a salvation that includes you scroll back a bit to Exodus chapter 15 verse 2 and when Moses and Miriam and the men and the women and the children were going to praise God one of the things Moses praised God in song by saying was the Lord has become our salvation think about that four minutes If the Lord has become our salvation, what did Moses, what did the men and later the women mean by using that term? Was this some kind of disembodied salvation where God was simply concerned about the soul? Or was that a salvation that God was concerned about not only their spiritual well-being, but their bodies as well? Salvation is holistic. Think to Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, when the author of that psalm cried out to God that, that he would save him from his enemies. Again, disembodied type of salvation. No, he wanted God to pursue his enemies and deliver him from the enemies bodily as well as his soul. We do not believe in this abstract salvation whereby we embrace the teaching that the salvation that we receive is only based upon this invisible thing that is caged in our bodies. It was not a visible thing that procured for you your salvation. It was a body that was nailed to a tree. It was a body that was put in a tomb. It was a body that rose from the grave three days later. And it was a body, when Jesus walked this earth, would say to some of his disciples, Do you really want to see that I'm a man? Not just some ghost? I'm not like Casper. (laughs) Touch me. As a matter of fact, give me some of that fish right there. And if you got fried chicken, no, he didn't. But listen (laughs) Jesus arose. Bodily. So when you think about the pains that you suffer this day because you dwell in this flesh, whether it's because of gender inequity, whether it's because of racism, whether it's because of any number of issues, physical abuse, sexual abuse, God will take care of that. One day, he's going to deal with all of your ills bodily. And we know that not simply because Jude was writing to the church about our common salvation, but because the Lord was willing to give you the same adjective that he gave Jesus, beloved. That's how much he cares about you. I mean, reverse the tape just a bit. Verse 1, you are a people who are loved in God the Father. There's your position. You are a people who are kept for Jesus Christ. There's something to anticipate. You are a people who are called by God. There's the catalyst for your response so that when you heard the voice of him who called, you came and you submitted to him. And he granted you all of the privileges of being in God, loved by him, Receiving the mercy and peace and love that has been multiplied to you. Jude was so eager to ensure that the first and second century churches got this. In fact, he says, I I was very eager to write to you about these things. Deliverance, body and soul. Removal from the wrath of God. God one day no longer having to worry about the shame and condemnation that you experience because of the guilt of your sin? I was eager to write to you about those things. But there's been a change of plans. He knows that there are people in the midst of the church who are teaching and living according to strange doctrines. Remember the, the title of this sermon series, Us Versus Them? It's not us versus them outside the church. It is us versus them inside the church. And so Jude is now going to help the people navigate exactly who these people are, what, what they ought to do. And so he tells them, Now that there's been this change of plans, I found it necessary, verse 3, to write to you, appealing to you that you contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Growing up, I used to, whether it was during the week, maybe after school or the weekend, I would walk to my neighbor's house and, and play basketball. I had skills, you know. Maybe that's one of the reasons he got mad at me. I'm unsure, but it, it seemed like it was inevitable that either in the midst of the game or when the game was over, I would get into a fight. I mean, he would hit me. I, I mean, I'm not trying to overstate my case, but I might cross him left, cross him right, go for a layup, and then, bow. he would hit me. And the next thing I know, I find myself running down the street. I did not want to get hit anymore. Oh, or maybe the game was over and, bow he hit me and I'd go running down the street again, never fell on the ground, strong chin. But listen, every time I'd walk into my house, my mother would see that I was upset, maybe I was crying, maybe I wasn't, I don't remember. But she would find out what happened. story never changed. And she'd say, "Boy, put your dukes up. Get back out there and stand for what is right. Fight! Hold in high regard your, your name. This is what the honorable thing is to do. And so I would go back out there thinking, okay, if I'm going to interact with this guy, i gotta, I got to put my dukes up. i got to fight for what I believe is right. Jude says, fight. Contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Church, when you're faced with opposition, put your dukes up. You have no other options. Uh, but the question then becomes, well, okay. If, if that's what I'm supposed to do how then do I do it I mean I can get on Twitter and lob 280 characters I, I can jump on on Facebook and give people a piece of my mind and then once that gets a little too heated I'll go off and retreat to my uh, members only echo chamber and tell them what that other person said you know, it, it's intriguing that we get the what we are called to do, and yet here in verse 3, we're not given the how of what we are called to do. How do you fight for what is right? Is it supposed to be a cage fight? I can tell you what, what, what you can't do. You can't do it in sin, I can tell you what you can't do. You can't fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints in an unloving manner. I can tell you what you can't do. The church is called to put her dukes up because of the faith the substance of our faith being the Lord Jesus Christ who bore our sins in his body on that tree the faith being not only orthodoxy that is right or straight thinking it is also orthopraxy jude is going to help the church and the holy spirit is going to help us realize this isn't just about right doctrine it's also about about right living therefore this term faith combines both of those think rightly live rightly contend for those things that were once for all. Not to be added to 15 years later. Not to somehow think about how you heard from God on that cold and rainy day and therefore you got to put a, a, a verse 26 in this book. Once and for all. Delivered. Here's another way God addresses the church to the saints. I mean, if we're in a Society right now where we're trying to navigate how we ought to think about self-esteem. I mean, even last place gets a trophy. Why does last place get a trophy? Because everybody's got to feel good, right? You can't take our current context and place it on Jude chapter 1. God is saying a great many things about you, and he means it. He calls you beloved, and he also calls you saints. Holy ones committed ones, which is very purposeful here in the context of Jude, where he's concerned, as we'll see a little bit in verse 4, to be expanded upon in verses 5 through 16, how God's people are living. So he's calling you saints, he's calling you committed ones, so that you might be committed to right thinking and right living. You are the saints of God. That description is not reserved for some person on a painting so long ago with caved-in cheeks and a pointy nose. It's for all people. Have you seen the pictures, Linda? Go look at it. Go look up some stuff. Saints. And then put in Roman Catholic. Delete that from the video. This is why there's been a change of plans. Because there are certain people... Who have crept in unnoticed. Remember, these are people in the church teaching things. We'll, we'll get to it in just a moment, but these are people who have false doctrine. Uh, they are living in a way that's not pleasing to God. They have crept into the church unnoticed. Shouldn't we have kept them out? Why didn't we build a wall to keep those people out there, out there, instead of having them creep in? To the church, maybe our credentialing process is too liberal. Somehow they got in. How'd they get there? Not told. But they're there. And perhaps more striking is that these teachers, these people, have been reserved. Look at verse 4 for condemnation. Uh, What are you kept for? What are you reserved for? Scroll back up. And what are they kept for? I am, as many of you know, I am not a handyman by any stretch of the imagination, but after I watch enough DIY videos, I really feel like one. So I'll go to Home Depot or I'll go to Lowe's and sure enough, every time I walk in, there's a person standing to my left that has either a blue or a yellow vest that signifies, you know, they work there. And they'll say, sir, you know, can I help you find anything? And my answer all the time is no. And it's not because I went there to get something specific, but because I'm kind of like, you don't ask me for, you know, I, I got this, right? And so I want to walk around and act like I know where everything is. And that might take a little, maybe that's why I didn't find my car. You know, I'm, start, I'm starting to just make some connections here on the spot, but no, 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 okay. Nevertheless, despite how you people <laughs> uh, don't uh, respect my ability to find things, I am going through uh, Home Depot, and I'll just start picking up stuff. Paint and uh, tablecloths, and I mean, I get some bathroom spray. I just get all this kind of stuff. And I walk out, I pay what I have to pay, and then I go and I try to fix something. For as many times as I've been to Home Depot or Lowe's, there's been one tool that i wanted to get that I never got still need it a clamp have you ever seen those clamps you know it's, it's this, this this little c-shaped thing that has this thing you spin and if you want to secure a, 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 some wood or other type of item to a surface you just spin and spin until eventually it clamps down and it secures whatever it is you have clamped there uh, you can pay 20 bucks for one you can pay 100 bucks for one depending on the quality but i've always needed a clamp and i never got one When God is your clamp, you're immovable. You see, earlier we hear in Jude that you are being kept for Jesus Christ. There's another kind of clamp which makes a certain kind of people immovable too. And yet those kinds of people are not being kept for Jesus Christ. According to verse 4, they are being clamped. They are being kept for condemnation. How does that make you feel? That there are people who reside in the church who are being kept for condemnation. Eternal destruction, not everlasting life where you are in the favor and bliss and warm embrace of God, but eternal fire forever designated. And what is also interesting about the beginning of this verse is they were written about beforehand. In the Hebrew Scriptures, these types of people were talked about. So why then did the church in the first century let them creep in? Shouldn't they have been able to designate them? Oh, I know you. You're the one that Genesis 6 talked about. Get out. They didn't have Bibles sitting on their shelves collecting dust. They needed that messenger to come to help them understand how to interpret what was in the Hebrew scriptures. And that's what's happening as the church of God waits for the messenger of God to tell them about these certain people who have crept in unnoticed, designated for condemnation. How would you describe them? Ungodly akin to the wicked of Psalm 1, who will not stand in the judgment. How would you describe these people? People who do not care about the Word of God, people who do not care about the instruction of God, people who do not care about the counsel of God. Have you ever been to a point in your life when you do not care about the Word of God, care about the counsel of God, care about the instruction of God? The answer, yes. So how do you know Jews not describing you When I was flying back from San Diego yesterday, from San Diego to Atlanta, I get to my seat before the other two seats fill up in that row. And then a woman sits next to me. And I kid you not, within three minutes of this woman sitting next to me, she takes a selfie of both of us. She pulled out her phone and we were already talking. She's like, let me get a selfie. I'm like, okay. And then we took the picture, right? And she said, I'm going to send this to my husband, who is in the other row. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm really about to get in trouble. <laughs> I said that to her. I said, are you about to get me in trouble? She said, oh, no, 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 no. He, he, he's not going to care. Well, thankfully, uh, she already had her phone in airplane mode, so it didn't send. So I was able to get off Atlanta and get to my next flight. Um, but as we were talking for three and a half hours on the flight, the flight was four hours. We were speaking about politics, gender, Employment. She was a neonatologist. We spoke about immigration. Uh, She spoke Spanish. We talked a little bit about other languages. Jesus and the church. And also parenting. One of the ways that came up was I asked her, I said, if you can change anything about yourself overnight, what would you change? And she said, I would like to be more understanding. I said, help me understand that. And she said, well, when I am raising my youngest daughter, I recognize how impatient I am with her. I just see stuff in her that uh, I just know is not right. She's a lawbreaker. And she said, well, what about you? And then I gave her my answer, but it wasn't to be more understanding. Of course, I got that one unlocked. But, I tell you this much. When I heard her say that, I realized how easy it is to spot those who break the law. Do you know those kinds of people? I'm talking about the ethically liberal, and I don't mean that as a political statement. I'm talking about those who look at God's law, His regulations, loose and fast. Do you know those kinds of people? You would be remiss if you say, yes, of course I know them, without thinking, no, I'm one of them. But then how do you distinguish Jude's call for the church to watch out for those who have crept in, and he describes them as ungodly, if we can all be classified in some respects as ungodly. How then, to go back to my previous question, do you with with certainty know it's not you? And how do you with certainty know that you are not one of the ones who is clamped, who is reserved for condemnation? Here's your homework assignment. Talk about that throughout the week. It will definitely help you. It will definitely grant you a sense of assurance as to whether or not you have some repenting to do because of your life and teaching or whether or not you are one of the ones who is being kept for Jesus Christ. Don't worry, Rick, I won't leave you all there. But he goes on, these are the types of people who are not only reserved for condemnation, ungodly people, but they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Why didn't Jude write they pervert the law of our God into sensuality? Because you you can't make the law say what it doesn't say. You can try to manipulate your way around it such that you can hear God's law say things like, you shouldn't steal men. Uh, But it's okay for me because as long as I bring them to another country and get them converted, that's all right. No, no, the law says don't steal men. You can walk around that law if you want to, but you can't deny what the law says. The law says every person, particularly women, are made in the image according to the likeness of God and, and we ought to respect them and love them. That's what the law says. And yet we can make them look like sexual objects if you want to, but you know that's not what the law says. Now, you can't get around the law, but you can definitely try to use grace as a license to break the law. You see, did not Paul already deal with this? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. But but, but grace is good for me because I then can live the way that I want to live, right? Because where there is sin, grace abounds all the more. Grace is not an excuse to sin. It is a license to enable us to be obedient. So would you do me a favor, please, please? Will you along with me stop making excuses and when God says obey and how he says obey you obey don't we make excuses oh you know uh, the reason I yelled at my mom it was really her fault (sighs) Uh, the reason I don't want to love my wife is because you know I just don't feel like it right now Uh, no more excuses We cannot pervert the grace of our God, the grace that He so lavishly grants to us in the face of our demerit, in the face of our law-breaking. He still says, beloved. He still says, beloved. Saints. He he still says, may mercy, peace, and love be granted to you. He still says, you are loved in God the Father. He still says, you are kept for Jesus Christ. He still says, you have been called by God. All of those things and many others are motivations for us to obey. Not be like these people who crept into the church unnoticed. Not people like this who want to live in any kind of fashion. Not doing what 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. To abstain from sexual immorality and to control our bodies with holiness and honor. Not like the Gentiles do. Giving yourselves over to the passions of your own flesh. Sensuality. Don't do it. Because when you do, the end of verse 4, you are denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. When you act like the only rules that apply are your own, that's what you're doing. But I know we still have to distinguish, how do we know we're not them? Because there's so much overlap. Have you always taught the right doctrine all the time? So much overlap. We got we to relieve that tension. We got to relieve this, this situation that we could be in, that on the one hand, we're either kept for Jesus Christ, on the other hand, we're either kept for condemnation. I hope you come back next Sunday. I Hope you talk about it during the week. Seven hours to find my car. And it wasn't because I didn't know I drove there. Now, the reason I said that is because as I was sitting in the back of this SUV when these two people, Disney employees, were driving me up and down every single aisle, looking, helping me look for my car, the woman looks back at me and she said, you did drive the car, right? And after seven hours, I started questioning myself, did I drive the car here? <laughs> Maybe I caught Uber. I mean I'm questioning everything right but it was during that search I remember looking down at the car key because attached to the car key there was this uh keychain that had information about the car color license plate number license plate state and I remember as I was talking to one of the security guards I gave him the keychain so he can write down the information to figure out the car he was looking for and I said sir I actually don't think this information is right. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I I remember it being a Passat. I I just don't remember the car being red. Because that's what it said on this keychain. The car was red. I said, "I I don't think I drove a red car here. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm pretty sure. And so he spent now the next hour or two looking for still a red car. But it was at that seventh hour that is... The employees were driving me up and down the lanes. The driver said, well, there's a Passat right there. It was black. And I said, well, the only way I'm going to know it's mine is if I look in the passenger seat and see my jacket there, because that's where I kept my jacket. And I got out, looked in the passenger seat, and there was my jacket. (laughs) What took me so long to find that car besides the fact that it, it said red, but it was really black. It wasn't only that I forgot where I parked, because I didn't take a picture of where I parked, but I was walking up and down the lanes trying to get the alarm to go off, and I knew that if the alarm goes off, I'll find the car. The alarm didn't work. So I'm out there looking for a red car whose alarm doesn't work, and finally, seven hours later, I missed the party that I heard was great. Uh, oh, change of plans. Jude had a change of plans. It wasn't a search in the parking lot for a vehicle. The change of plan was the teachers and people who crept into the church that made him have to shift from writing about our common salvation to telling the church to put her dukes up. In verses five and following, we're gonna learn a little bit more about these people that are going to be contended with. In the meantime, beloved, may God give us the grace to not only receive right teaching, but live in light of that right teaching. Amen Amen. and amen.